we had we used to, I just used to wake up in the mornings and like your lights would be left on and I know was that I had them turned off right and um, anyway uh, I used to, you know say like I don't care if you're here as long as you're friendly right and Robert, your father used to say, geez, when it came, don't let no one hear you, for God's sake. And I said, well, I'm telling you now. I said, I'm telling you, there's ghosts in this house. Welcome to the Bed Night Lunch Podcast, a podcast where we delve into the unseen history and folklore of Carboneer. For each episode, we invite you to sit down and enjoy a nice bed night lunch while we take a journey back through history. Now, here are your hosts, Preston Griffin, Caitlin Clark, Caitlin Head, Sarah Clark, and myself, Noah Green. Happy Halloween to all of our Bed Night Lunch podcast listeners. I'm so excited to bring you uh, our Halloween special where we're going to be recounting some ghost stories and legends and folklore from Carboneer. Now, I know everyone around this table either has a big fear for it or a big penchant for the, uh, for the supernatural. So I'm, I'm sure this is going to be a great one. So uh, thanks to Sarah and her mom for that uh, little excerpt at the beginning where they, they talk about some personal experience they've had and, and I know we all have a lot of personal experiences and ghost stories we love to share but um I think we're going to start off with a few recorded interviews we have and the first one is about a house that's uh it's down in Crocker's Cove really old uh, house that one of my friends personally lives in and he tells this story about a woman that he sees home alone and I'll play that for us right now Never knew about my experience before. 
you know, that story just makes me think that there's, there's really something, there's this kind of life to old houses. There's that, that atmosphere. They have this life in them, and sometimes in the most creepy, just horrifying ways. And um, I know we have a lot of personal experiences, but just real quick, one more story we have from a, a man we interviewed recently, Bill Bowman. He tells us a story about another house that you would think completely abandoned, but, you know, some unexplained things have happened. So I'll let him recount that one. They, uh, they operated a meat, a meat market there where, um, right next door to the stone job, that yellow building there in the corner of O'Donnell's thing. And uh, anyway, uh, the, the house up there had been laying abandoned for many years, and even to the point where all the paint had, you know, worn off it over the years. And it was weather beaten, it was grey colour. Anyway, uh, one day uh, in the late 40s, early 50s, uh, somebody was passing by, either you're going up St. Clair Avenue or going up Carter Street, whatever, and uh, they noticed smoke coming out of the chimney of the house. And the house had been, you know, like you say, bad. So anyway, somebody reported it to Jack Hogan, who was relieved. I don't think Jack ever lived up there. He used to live down on, on Patrick Street, on the east end of Patrick Street, this end of Patrick Street. But uh, anyway, Jack, Jack had a key to the house, so uh, he went up to investigate. And I think my father at the time, who had a pretty good nerve for, for that kind of thing, he wasn't wasn't really scared of ghosts or anything like that, even though they lived in a time when there was a lot of ghost stories told and people were afraid to go out at night to go home. And, uh, you you got to remember that, and this, and this gets back to the, the street lights or lack thereof, at that time there were hardly very few street lights anywhere, right? Uh, they, they were just like on the corners of like the women on near Water Street by the uh, that usually you'd see one at the intersection of streets, right? But anyway, uh, lots of ghost stories to tell. So uh, anyway, uh, Jack Horgan and my father went up to the house and he opened the door and they went in. And uh, they checked the stove, for, you know, which, which was the only, uh, would have been the only place that there could be any fire that, that would generate smoke. And they lifted up the damper and they looked down and, and salt. Back back in those days, when people were leaving a house and they knew that they may not be returning for quite some time or that nobody else would be coming in for quite some time, they they would uh, spread salt down over whatever embers and back into the fire, like that that had gone out. People in those days burned coal and wood. So they looked down and uh, they saw all they could see in the stove was salt and you know that, that had been left there and there was no evidence of any fire whatsoever. So the mystery is uh, where did the smoke come from? 
and it was billowing up, apparently, according to I didn't see it, but I wasn't around, but it was billowing up out of the chimney. And to this day, as far as I'm concerned, it's never been explained. I honestly really love that story. It is really a chilling one. But uh, I really like that, that other part where, where Bill mentions that ghost stories sometimes can just be a product of uh, our imagination. When we need that kind of entertainment, and we have a lack of anything else, we'll make it up. And uh, it makes us think of a very personal story to all of us. Uh, save Preston, who, uh, who has never worked at the work. But for the rest of us who spend a lot of time there, we, uh, being close-knit employees and always talking, we've kind of, we've spun this story about exactly how haunted that building is. Now, whether or not it actually is or there's any truth to it, I know for a fact we could sit here for hours and tell you all these different, different little stories in which we've been a bit freaked out. I know one thing that used to happen a lot is that we'd all be in the office um, in between visitors and we'd sometimes hear footsteps go across upstairs when there was no one upstairs. Yeah, and even I remember when I was in the museum, I was by myself just for a few minutes. I was in the office and I heard what seemed to be footsteps upstairs, so I thought somebody came in. And so I went up there and there was no one there. So I thought, okay, like maybe they just left and I didn't notice. But then they came back again and they were like pacing back and forth on the second floor and I was like, is there someone here? So I went upstairs again, no one there. And this time I actually heard them while I was up there. And I was freaked out. I was like, oh my God, this is not happening. <laughs> I, uh, I remember, I think it was last summer and this this was around the time that our, our grant ended. So we weren't working anymore, but um, I think we were all just hanging out. And it was something about one of our coworkers, Mark, he was walking down the road and took a picture of the building and like clear as day in this photograph you, you can see uh, like a man's face in, yeah, you in can the window. very clearly see it in one of the windows. And I remember this one night, it was probably during the fall, me and a friend of mine were leaving the stone jug for mm -hmm. a night and I stepped outside waiting for her and I looked at the museum and I saw what seemed to be a face through the window right. and at first I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me but then I remember that picture Mark showed us and it yeah. looks very similar so uh, it's a, I think yeah. you can go up to any of the uh, employees who worked at the museums and if you ask them to tell you something creepy about uh, the work they can list it off because it's, it's just so saturated yeah I think one moment that really sticks with me is when we were closing up one night because we usually do the bed night lunches on Friday nights uh, so we were all closing up one night and all the lights were off in the building and I think like we remember just seeing something cut across the back of the museum yeah. and that's just really stuck with me that and we all kind of took off out of the building very quickly that night. Yeah there's so many different times where I, I uh, definitely got a little bit freaked out even though I, I'm a huge skeptic. I, um, I will admit to uh, probably screaming a little bit sometimes, <laughs> maybe. I, uh, Speaking of skeptic, actually, my next point I wanted to make was about a long-lasting story we've always talked about because I think it was a summer or two, maybe, we heard, uh, a summer or two ago, we heard the story about the dress-up. Yeah, we were actually kind of able to debunk that a little. Yeah, well, we're, I'm not entirely sure to say 
and I don't want to discredit or like state my opinion as fact, but we remember one summer hearing the story about uh, like this urban legend, the, the dresser, which was like it was told as if it was a monster that would like chase you. Yeah, it was some kind of monster that would chase children and it's particularly associated with the across the doors area here mm. in Carbonier. Right. So um, this was told by uh, a lady told us this story when we had a little uh, workshop here once and uh, we were so intrigued by it because we'd never heard about the dress up before. And we, we researched it, searched the, like the internet and uh, we even put out like tweets and everything asking anybody that knew anything about the dress up and nothing came back until very recently while we were doing these podcasts I did an interview with another man here, Heber McGurk and I, when I asked him about dress ups as like a ghost story he had no idea but dress ups just as a thing were just old men who, uh, who would wear those very long coats and top hats and they just walk down the streets and he said that sometimes, you know, they'd get, him, get those old men going, try to get him to chase after you and uh, I think, my, my theory is that the, uh, the dress up is just regular people but it's been turned into this like bogeyman's tale to keep children from like chasing after these men and like, uh, you know, tantalizing them. Yeah, I think it was probably like this thing that was very specific to that area of Carbonier and parents would tell their kids to watch out for the dress up just to kind of keep them from going places or like, you know, the traditional kind of boogeyman thing. I'm sure we were all told mm. similar things but with different names growing up. So, uh, yeah, to speak to our own personal boogeyman a bit, I want to, I really want to get into some of our personal stories because they're my absolute favorites. And uh, I want to start off with uh, Preston's story, which oddly enough has been dubbed the uh, glowing dinosaur story. And uh, I'd love to hear it. So, uh, I live on the south side of Carbonier, and uh, in my house, my old room was the entrance to the attic. So, uh, one night, it wasn't too late, but it was, I would imagine, around 8 or 9, just when it was starting to get dark. Uh, earlier that week, I had gotten little glowing dinosaurs, so they were glowing dark. And uh, being a little kid I was, the way my room was laid out, it was, wouldn't get dark enough to really see them. But, the attic uh, had just a little crack in it where I would be able to throw the dinosaurs through the crack and see them glow up. So they were only little cheap toys so they would, the glow would kind of dissipate pretty quick. So uh, I was throwing them in there and uh, at one point one came back at me very aggressively and it was this little T-Rex. And uh, it spooked me out enough to the point where I ran out of the room. but. Uh, it might have a logical explanation to it because my father, a few years later, was in the attic. I don't remember why he was up there. But when he came out, he came out with an old bird's nest, which we don't know how it got there, and one of those glowing dinosaurs. This was probably like six years later. I completely forgot about it. And it kind of took me back and freaked me out a bit. Yeah, so either yeah. ghosts or angry birds. Yeah, it's one of the two. I'm <laughs> hoping for an angry bird. terrified of a dinosaur come flying back at, him, at me out of a hole like that. <laughs> well, exactly. It was not a very big hole. It was just enough to get like these little tiny figures through the hole. And like you'd see the glow and it dissipate. And like just when the dissipate happened, it just comes shooting back at me very aggressively. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how logical the but... angry birds theory yeah. is. <laughs> I know, because like... My kind of theory with it to try and rationalize it so I don't stress myself out is like where there was a nest there maybe like the mother bird was like protecting her youngsters or something and just flicked it back somehow. I don't know. I don't know what kind of a throw birds got though. 
Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll say it. We're not Sounds like a ghost with a really good arm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think the, the next story we wanted to hear was Sarah's. Yeah, um, I remember when I was probably 11 years old, me and my aunt had to go to Victoria late one night. And um, we were driving up the ridge, and I was sitting in the passenger, passenger seat. Mm -hmm. And I was just looking up the road, and I seen this white figure of like a person run across the road. And I screamed at my aunt to stop because this person just came out of nowhere. And she just looked at me like I had ten heads, like, what are you talking about? And I looked at her and I said, you didn't see the person running across the road. And she was like, no, there was no one there. And I looked behind me and, like, while we were driving up the road, there was no one there. So, and I heard many years later that there, that supposedly that part of the hill was haunted. Mm. So it kind of freaked me out a little bit. That's, that's a funny thing that you mentioned that because... Uh, that uh, that road leading out of Kyrenia, when you go up towards Victoria, say there's there's a few stories. I know um, I don't know how much we're gonna touch on it, but the the Moxley part of folklore here in Kyrenia. Well, uh, well, Moxley was said to be buried up around there, up around the ridge, and um, not only that, there's actually a really interesting excerpt I have from my interview with Hugh McGurk, where he tells a story about how young boys would scare each other up around there by um, stripping down to the long johns and pretending to be ghosts. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never considered stripping to uh, get some cheap scares, but uh, it's definitely an interesting method. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll just stick to like hiding my outdoor or something. Yeah, <laughs> keep my clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the next story we've got is one from Kayla. So kind of speaking of seeing things while you're driving, me and my friends were out driving around one night um, and so I was in the passenger seat and one of my friends was driving the car of course and then someone else is in the back seat so I know we were driving down Crocker's Cove like almost right towards where the uh, the little beach is uh, so we were driving and we saw this guy like down like by the shed that's there and so we were like oh well, what's that guy at and so like me and the driver of the car were talking about it a little and the person in the back seat just didn't acknowledge this at all which we found kind of strange and then we got up there and the guy had just suddenly completely disappeared and like we were like looking around there was like no way he could have crossed the road that quickly there's no way he could have gotten to a house that quickly so he just kind of like disappeared out of smoke and then we were like we were like freaking out because that was super odd and then the person in the back seat was like what guy are you talking about there was no one there so we were just super freaked out that night it was stormy there was like thunder it's just awful mm. I think it's the stories that make you question your own grasp on yeah. reality that are always the most, like, unsettling. Yeah, like, I know me and my friend will swear up and down that mm. we saw that guy there, but the other friend refuses to say that there was anyone there. <laughs> Alright, um, I think we do have one more story, and this one, uh, it might it might take the cake for uh, unsettling, so I'd love to hear it, Preston. I apologize I'm on listening at this at night. Uh, so this one is called Boy in Bed, uh, <laughs> as I thought about it later on. But uh, when I was younger, I was very plagued by nightmares. And uh, there would be many nights where I'd wake up in a cold sweat and it just wasn't a good time. Uh, so I remember this one in particular. I can't remember what the nightmare was for the life of me. But when I woke up, obviously, do you ever have that instance where like one half of your pillow is like really warm and the other half would be very cold? Mm. So I went to turn over to the other side to kind of like take my mind off and get on the cold side. And uh, when I turned around, now keep in mind, I only had a little single bed, so it wasn't very big. 
there was a little boy staring at me. And uh, he looked scared. I was obviously very scared. And he spoke to me and he said, did you see it too? I never answered. I was petrified and I just turned back around. I, I swear I wasn't still dreaming and I just ignored it. And when I woke up, he wasn't there and I haven't seen him since. And I moved into that room a couple of years later. How did you go back to sleep I after that? I'd have to like go that to my is parents creepy. or something. I didn't um, enjoy that story. No, it's for the record. <laughs> no, I slept with the nightlight on for years after that. Before that, it was complete darkness, and no. Well, that is crazy. Yeah, I think that's a really spooky note to end on. We uh, <laughs> we do we do call this the bed night lunch podcast for a reason. I hope your uh, your bit of tea and biscuits can comfort you in any way after after yeah. tonight's episode. And uh, I'll give it up to Caitlin for our closing remarks. Um, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for joining us this week on the Bed Night Lunch podcast, and we'd also like to wish you a happy Halloween. Uh, so if you guys are interested in hearing more from us, be sure to keep an eye on the Town of Carbonair Facebook page and all of our other social media. I've been Caitlin Clark. I've been Preston Griffin. I've been Noah Green. I've been Sarah Clark. Guys, anyone notice that Caitlin's missing? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>